All right, Shabbat Shalom, everybody. So this week, if you want to start in the book of Luke, we will go, we will start there. Because what we're going to do today is talk about the book of John, or at least start talking about the book of John. Um, it's a book I've wanted to go through for a long time. and um, But we're going to start out by talking, first we're going to talk a little bit about John, the author, and then we're going to go into um, talking about John the Baptist a little bit, and we'll see how far we get. But um, one of the first things I want to cover here is uh, John, the author. He, I, for the longest time, <laughs> didn't really piece together in my mind uh, that John the Baptist and John, the author, are not the same people. <laughs> took me a long time to figure that out. So if you didn't know that, that indeed is the case. So John, the author, was one of the, was one of the 12 disciples, Peter, James, and John, and uh, he authored the book of John, 1st and 2nd, 3rd John, and also Revelation, the book of Revelation. And um, he uh, was eventually exiled to the island of Patmos where he, uh, where he authored the book of Revelation. And... Um, I guess as best as we can tell, died there. And so that's a little bit about him. And um, some of the things that are interesting is, especially when you read. So let's actually go ahead to the book of John. We'll read a little bit there. And then we're going to go to First, First John. And I want to kind of draw out some of, the, some of the similar correlations of his writing style that you see and how you see the... Uh, flow of thought processes that are just so rich and contain so much in those statements that it's very contextual to having a, a complete understanding of the Word of God and an understanding of the Word of God that is whole, coherent, and applicable for wh- whoever's reading it. You know, it's not just fancy bumper sticker slogans that are said there just for fun. They, they have pertinent meaning that... Um, is very important. So first, uh, first chapter in the book of John, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. And the light shineth in the darkness, and the darkness comprehendeth it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them he uh, gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bare witness of him and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me, and his fullness have all we received, and grace for grace." For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Yeshua Messiah. No man hath seen God at any time, only the begotten Son, 
which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. And this is the record of John, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who art thou? And he confessed and denied not, but confessed, I am not the Messiah. So we'll stop there. So there's a whole lot going on in there, and eventually we're going to get into all of that and go kind of piece by piece through a lot of these different statements and what he's talking about. And he means... Um, but first, I kind of want to cover who John the Baptist was and how he came about and his parents, and that's why we're going to go up to, we're eventually going to go to Luke. So, but first, go to First John, the book of John. And so, I just want to read this to kind of bring out some. Uh, some of the similarities that you see between the authorship of the book of John and the book of 1 John. Uh, that, that same concepts he kind of talks about. So, chapter 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled, of the word of life. So right there, you kind of have an encapsulation summary of the whole thing that we read in the book of John in that first chapter. He makes a big point to uh, set forth this premise that Yeshua was from the beginning, and then he was manifest, came in the flesh, and they saw him and they handled him, and he was also the word of life. So this whole, uh, these three, these three ideas that he was in the beginning, he is the word, the word made all things, he was manifest in the flesh, and um, that they bear witness of that. Two, for the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and showed unto you that eternal life which was with the Father, and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father, and with his Son, Yeshua Messiah. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full." This, then, is the message which we have heard of him and declared unto you that God is light, and in him is no darkness of all. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Yeshua Messiah, his Son, cleansed us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. And his word is not in us. So you can see the correlation of all these terms, the light, the word, the beginning, uh, truth, um, being in us, through us, us being in him. Um, and and there's, so these are a lot of broad concepts that John covers that are really foundational to everything that the scripture is built on in the plan of God's story of redemption for his people, Israel, and them being his sons, um, and being born again, all of these things that are crucial. And he ties it all the way back into the beginning because from the beginning, these things have been true. It's always been part of God's plan because it's all who and what God is. And it must be seen as a whole. If you dissect the frog and you only see one part of it, you can come up with weird, crazy theories about that one weird thing that's not connected to the whole picture, i.e. dispensationalism. And so you come up with um, errant theories or rejecting the Messiah, you don't get the full picture of what the whole of the Torah and the Old Testament is pointing towards. We have, it, we have one book. We have 
one scriptures. We have one body, one God, one Messiah, one salvation. And uh, because God is not duplicitous. He is, he is one. Shema Israel. Yeah. The Lord our God is one. So that's a little bit on the background of um, just a teeny little snippet of John, uh, the author, who was one of the disciples. And so now, um, now let's go to Luke, because I want to start here and I want to talk about John the Baptist. Who is he? What did he do? Why did he do it? Blah, blah, blah. Um, so uh, what I want to look at is uh, how John was born, who he was, and his task, um, because this all plays into the questions that the Pharisees ask him. Um, so John was a priest. He was, uh, he was a descendant of Aaron. So he was an Aaronic priest. So to give a little bit of framework to that, so there are priests and there are Levites. So Aaron and his family and all the Levites descend from the tribe of Levi. But, and so did Moses. But the, the high priesthood, those which did the service in the temple proper, um, not necessarily the sacrifices, only they did some specific sacrifices, but particularly like the incense and the menorah and obviously the day of Yom Kippur, going into the Holy of Holies, only the high priest was allowed to do some of those things. And then the, or, the family members and the, uh, those descendants of Aaron's two sons, um, uh, I'm going to forget their names. We'll read it. It's in Chronicles. But uh, Nadab and Abihu got burned up, and then um, he had two other sons. And they became those that the, the order of the high priests were de- descended from. So by the time we get into the time of the New Testament, you have a whole bunch of these priests from the order of Aaron. And so it went, it was broken up in the time of David into 24 orders. And so it's, it cycled through. And so you would go, if you were one of these ironic priests, you would get, the lot would fall to you eventually, and you would get to serve in the temple and burn incense, for instance, as Zechariah, John's father, did. And by this time, it was often that you, you may only get to do that once in your life because there were so many priests at the time. And so um, it's not a coincidence that Zacharias is in the temple and Gabriel comes and talks to him and tells him you're going to have a son and this is what he's going to do. It has a whole lot of meaning wrapped up into that. So he was a... So let's just start uh, reading a little bit. Uh... We'll start in verse 5 of Luke chapter 1. There was in the days of Herod the king of Judea a certain priest named Zacharias of the course of Abiah, and his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. So he's an Aaronic priest, married to within the Aaronic line because that was a commandment they were supposed to marry from the daughters of Aaron. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and the ordinance of Yehovah blameless. And they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both now well stricken in years. So, and it came to pass, verse 8, that while he executed the priest's office before God in the order of his course, according to the custom of the priest's office, his lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of Yehovah. And the whole multitude of the people were praying without at the time of the incense. It was, it was standard practice and you'll read in, in uh, rabbinic Judaism such that the times of prayer was when the incense were offered up. And that's, um, again, that's not without coincidence because like you read in Revelation, the prayers of the saints are 
are likened unto incense. These are the prayers of the saints. And so our prayers are uh, an, an offering of incense before up unto God. And so at the time of the incense burning in the temple, people would be outside praying. Oftentimes they'd pray psalms or, you know, directly from their heart. So there was this priest named Zacharias of the course of Aviyah. If we go to 1 Chronicles 24.10, we can see where that is. So let's see here. Um, well, if we start in the beginning of chapter 24, there were, it says, Now these are the divisions of the sons of Aaron. The sons of Aaron, Adab and Abihu, Eleazar and Ithamar. Those are the ones I couldn't remember. Those are the ones that survived. Eleazar and Ithamar. But Nabadab and Abihu died before their father and had no children. Therefore, Eleazar and Ithamar executed the priest's office. And David distributed them, both Zadok of the sons of Eleazar and Ahimelech, the sons of Ithamar, according to their offices and their services. And so he, it goes on and it talks about how they divide them uh, by lot and, um, and, 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 it, and it gets broken down. But if you go down to um, verse 10, it says, The seventh to uh, Hakaz, the eighth to Abiyah. So that was where... Um, that's where Zacharias comes from. That is his lineage. He comes from that eighth, uh, eighth lot of Avia. Now, what I find really coincidentally interesting is the very next name that serves in the lot is, in the ninth place, Yeshua. Huh, interesting. Isn't that fascinating? What's also interesting is John's name means Yehovah has shown favor. So again, names mean things. It's not without interesting facts that you've got John, who's going to be born, who is uh, going to be the son of Zacharias, who's of the order of Abiyah, uh, and God is showing favor to his people. And in this order, in First, uh, First Chronicles 24, uh, verse 11, the order directly after Abiyah is Yeshua. <laughs> I just, I, I don't know. I don't think that that's random happenstance, you know. I think God does these things on purpose. So I just find it interesting. And I'm sure there's even meaning, you know, why is he the eighth? You know, eight's a number of, you know, perfect completion. And so I don't know. You, you know, there's all these little things that are just interesting. Um, but I don't think these are, um, what's the phrase I'm trying to use? These, these things are don't go without notice by I believe even God's people at the time. You know, they knew who what their lineage was. They knew the book of Chronicles, you know, they knew what David did and said and the next order was Yeshua. So I don't think they this was lost on the people at the time. And so you have Zacharias. So he he gets his lock gets called. Uh, he's a priest of the order Aaron. He goes in, he burns incense and while he's in there uh, da, 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 the whole people are praying, and 11, and there appeared, this is Luke 1, 11, and there appeared unto him an angel of Jehovah standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, troubled, and fear fell on him. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. So it's interesting, while he's in there, and, and, 
and maybe well, I don't know when his prayer was. Maybe it said at one time, but obviously at one point he had prayed for children. And so you get to this point, and his prayer is heard. You know, he's going to have a child, whether it was while he was in there or it was another time. But um, uh, his prayer is heard. And 14, thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. For he shall be great in the sight of Yahovah, and there and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to Yehovah, their God. So he's going to be a Nazarite from birth. There's only a couple other people in the Bible that are Nazarites from birth. Uh, Samson being one, and Samuel being another. And um, I find it interesting that Samuel uh, being a Nazarite from birth and being dedicated unto God and serving in a priestly way... um, is John's going to fall right into that same lot. So here he is, an Aaronic priest, and um, he's going to be in, he's going to be set forth with a particular task, and that's why he has this Nazarite separation. It's really what you know. There's a whole lot with that you can learn from looking into uh, the Nazarite vows. But basically, it's being it's it's choosing to set yourself apart to God for specific purpose and so you separate from yourself those things which um dull the sharpness of your mind essentially and so you are you have uh perfect perfect focus on god and and the task that you are dedicating yourself to as a nazarite so he's going to be filled with the holy ghost even from his mother's womb and the children of israel shall he turn to Yehovah their god so it's important it's important to realize at this time that Israel was a disaster, and this is somewhat unrelated, but I want to mention it anyway. That So Israel, as a sovereign nation, had not had complete control of themselves until uh, uh, before the Babylonian exile. After the Babylonian exile, they were still essentially a vassal state of Persia, and then vassal states of other states with little rebellions in there. Uh, namely like the Maccabees. Uh, but then eventually, now they're ruled by the Romans. And so what's so fascinating to me today is that now, since 1948, Israel is back in the land, some of them anyway, the Jews, as a sovereign nation under their own control. Whether or not it's good, you know, secular, obviously, but they are no longer a vassal state of anybody, which is has not happened. And I don't obviously I knew this, but it just didn't dawn on me until just uh, the other day that they have not had complete autonomy and control until before the Babylonian exile. Yeah, that's a long time, but really so cool that it's like if any any naysayers would look at Israel and say, "Oh well, whatever, just another country," it's like no. Here they are, now back in the land after thousands of years with complete autonomy. I mean, it's just a huge prophetic thing. Yes, you and back. So, and what's interesting, too, is, I don't know if you remember when I preached that sermon on Song of Solomon, and I quoted Harry Ironside. Yeah. Anyway, so, and from his time frame, he was one of the very few that, that boldly proclaimed that Israel would be back in the land, because at that time in Christianity, there was a massive misunderstanding 
or thinking that Israel was, was ever going to get back in their land. And so people like Ironside took big hits right. over preaching that the Word of God says they will, everything that you just said. That they'll be back in the land. But now yeah. we take it for granted. Right. That was a battle right. back then. Well, exactly. So if you're listening to this to recap, my dad was saying, Henry Ironside was saying that Israel will be back in the land. And that a lot of people hadn't thought they were going to be back in the land. Exactly. We, well, and that was my exact thought process. We just take for granted that Israel is back at the land. This is it's huge. It is humongously huge. And the fact that we basically wink and nod at it and throw some money at them and then go about our lives in the exile, to me, just goes to show the decrepit, debauched, morally bankrupt state of Christianity and God's people and Judaism. I mean, what the H-E double toothpicks are you doing if you're a Jew still in the diaspora? You know, give me a break. So, I don't know. Anyways, that's just added value. No, you ought to read that. And so, uh, so I think that that is very fascinating. So, trying to get back into this here. So, um, so he's going to be a Nazarite. He's going to be filled with the Holy Ghost. And he shall turn Israel to their God. So that's what I wanted to say, is that what I also want us to see is that Israel at the time, especially within the land, was, a, was just a mess, was just a complete mess. You had a mixing, mashing, a picture of America today. You know, there is uh, the Jews, uh, you know, Israelites, but they, there's a whole bunch of sects, even at that point. I mean, eventually the sect of the Nazarenes was... was was called just a sect of Judaism, those followers of Yeshua. And so there were all these different sects, and they were not keeping the Torah. They were not serving God. Those that were running the temple were, the Sadducees were corrupt, and it was a government mingling, commingling with the Roman government at the time. Uh, it was corrupt with the exchange rates that they had inflicted on the people. You had to buy their animals you had if you had to you couldn't just you sacrifice your own animal you couldn't even offer your own money you had to exchange it and so they it was like a modern day stock market but except it extorted money from the people and so the rulers of the day were living off the fat of the people exploiting them and that's why Yeshua went in you know ripping mad and turning over the tables and saying you've turned my house into a den of thieves and it's supposed to be a house of prayer for all peoples so you have John the Baptist coming who is a priest, you know, that's really important. He, he, and he uh, is, uh, you know, what do priests do? They mediate between the people and God, right? And it, it, his name even means, Yehovah has shown favor, and Yeshua is coming, the Messiah is coming. So he's preparing the people and preparing the way in what? Restoring back the hearts of the fathers, to the children and the hearts of the children, to the fathers that they may walk as their father David did, as their father Abraham did, and to be a people prepared. So, And that's what Malachi prophesied. So you have this prophecy of Malachi coming into fruition with him and the prophecies of the Messiah that would happen so that he could gather his people from the four corners of the earth to be able to all eventually unite them under himself as king, which is which is so important with what's happening today with Israel. The land, we have the land again. Some of it. They're trying to give it away, but that'll change. And so it's huge that Israel has begun returning to the land. 
So we have a returning, and it's not without coincidence that there's been this, this turning of God's people, i.e. Hebrew roots, Messianic movement, what, do you, what other label you want to put onto it, that these people are being called out of their own spiritual Egypt, coming back to the Torah, holding on to the Zetian of the Messiah, and now are being born, the nation is being reborn spiritually in preparation for the return of the Messiah. So all this ties in together, and 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 uh, I just think it's, it's amazing. So, okay, let's keep going on this. Okay, so he's a Nazarite from birth, just like Samuel and Samson. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. He, he, he is given this abil- extra extra human ability from God to be able to serve and do his task. So he goes before Yeshua in the spirit and the power of Elijah. That's uh, Malachi 3.1 and uh, 4.1 through 6. So we're going we're gonna to read that a little bit. So let's read. So uh, six, uh, 17, and he shall go before him, that's the Messiah, in the spirit and power of Elijah. So this is still the the angel talking to Zacharias. So Aaronic peace in the temple, burning incense. The angel of the Lord's talking to him. So he shall be go before him in spirit and in power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just and to make ready a people prepared for Yehovah. And so the ministry of Elijah and what Elijah did was through many signs and wonders, he was just another one of the prophets. He did great things, but he was in a dark, dark time in Israel where Israel was split. They were divided kingdom because of their sins. And he ministered primarily to the northern king kingdoms of, uh, of Israel, which is fascinating in and of itself because they were the ones that became the scattered you know, ten tribes and the exile. And so he was ministering to them through great signs and wonders. What? Trying to bring them back to the Taurus. And because that's what all God's people did. Because if you can change the hearts of the people, you can change their their minds, and then you can change their actions, and then they will live for God, return back to the land, build the temple, be what they're supposed to be, and then the king can actually have a kingdom who will listen to him and respond. So this is what he is supposed to do because Yeshua the Messiah is coming to save his people from their sins. And he has to cleanse his people before before he can use them, essentially. They have to be reborn. They have to be born again, have a new spirit within them. That's why John, who wrote all this, not not in Luke, but in our book of John, is going to say, you know, talk about being come, become the sons of God, not of blood, but of the blood of Messiah. So, I don't know. I feel like I'm trying to tie together 18,000 strings springing from the ceiling to one point, but that's what the Bible is, basically. So, all right, so he you know, shall go before in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the father and children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. So turn back their hearts, make them be disobedient, and so they'll be ready for, uh, uh, for the Lord. So let's go to Malachi. Zechariah, Malachi. Really interesting also. I don't think God's without, uh, without humor in his dealings with his people, that you have Malachi, which is the last book in the Old Testament, right before the New Testament, where we throw out the Torah, and one of the last things he's going to say in verse um, verse 4 of chapter 4, it says, remember the Torah of Moses, my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel, 
people, all Israel, with the statutes and judgments. Then the next verse, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming and great and dreadful day of Jehovah, and he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. So this idea, again, of this connection with the obedience of God's people and what happens in the physical world around us, they are intricately connected to our collective obedience or our collective disobedience. And so uh, he implores the, uh, the people to keep the Torah of Moses, his servant. He's calling them back, and that's what the ministry of Elijah was all about. And if we go back into chapter 3, it says in verse 1, Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. And Yehovah, whom you seek, shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant, whom ye delight in. Behold, he shall come, saith Yehovah of hosts. So this messenger, which Yeshua said is John the Baptist, if you can receive it, uh, has come. And so... You know, that's what's going on now, and the, and the implication and the imploring is to turn the hearts of the, of the children back to the fathers and the hearts of the children to the fathers to keep the Torah of Moses. And so, um, so he was to make ready a people prefer, prepared for Yehovah. And I basically said all I wanted to say about that. So that's kind of it in a nutshell for our introduction um, to the book of John, talking about John the author, who wrote the book of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and the book of Revelation, and then John the Baptist, Yochanan, the immerser, I always forget his name, Yehovah has shown favor, and how he, whereas we're going to read, he lived in the wilderness, um, and he separate, which I don't think which I think is, um, he lived in the wilderness immersing people, saying repent. And at the time, those who were living in the land, you went to the temple to be immersed before you went up. But he went outside, and I believe calling the people back to the remembrance of what we're always called back to, which is the Exodus, where, to, where God leads them out of the city, takes them to the wilderness, where they are... Given the Torah, they are immersed, washed in the Red Sea, immersed, changed from their old nature and ways, born back unto God as something, a new creation that, that will serve Him and do His word. And, uh, uh, and so John, I believe, was doing this, again, to prepare a people for Him. And his message was, repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And it's the same message for today. We need to repent, turn back from our ways, realize we are living in incredible times where Israel, for the first time since the Babylonian exile, stands in as, as an autonomous nation unto itself in their own land. I mean, it's humongous. And, and that's basically lost on us. And we say, well, that's good for them over there, those Jews. You know, forgetting that those of us who are followers of Yeshua the Messiah are grafted into Israel and are inheritors of the blessing and the curses of the covenant along with them, and we need to recognize our place in the kingdom, uh, repent, turn back, live, 
and be a people prepared for the coming of the Messiah in our hearts, in our minds, in our bodies, in our lives, in our families. We can't be milk toast, lackadaisical wimps, you know, floating along, not thinking about anything, just living for the day anymore. You know, this stuff has to start to permeate into the fabric of the culture of our lives and our families that we can start to birth this nation again. And so, you know, we're seeing the beginnings of it and, it, and, and a little bit beyond the beginning since um, really the, the early 1900s when all this was starting to go on. And so I just pray that God will continue it, continue to work in the lives of his people. So there's your introduction, and stay tuned for the next episodes. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for this day, uh, for your word, for the ministry of John the Baptist, for the writings of John the Apostle, and how you preserve and sustain your word for us for all generations, and how you are preparing us as your people for you and for your coming, that we may be uh, a kingdom ready for you to serve and obey and be a light and do what's right. So I just pray that you would continue that work in us and uh, return quickly. In Yeshua's name I pray. Amen. I want more. <laughs> so do you believe that there will be someone like Elisha that comes before the end?